brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This is Podcast on the Brink, your weekly dose of Indiana University basketball discussion, hosted by Inside the Hall founder and editor, Alex Bozich. Since 2007, Inside the Hall has been trusted by IU fans across the globe to be the one-stop shop for IU basketball news, commentary, and analysis. Join us over at InsideTheHall.com. That's InsideTheHall.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Podcast on the Brink. And there's a lot to discuss uh, since... The last time uh, we were with you uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, Dylan Burkhart joined us and we, we kind of previewed the start of the basketball season. And at that point, we were, I think, wondering what this season would look like to start. But uh, in terms of, you know, being able to, to get some games out of the way for Indiana, they've played now four uh, in the span of, I think, eight days. And, and to help us uh, react to what we've seen so far, uh, Good friend of mine, obviously a co-founder of of Inside the Hall, and uh, the man who uh, writes the minute after and uh, the film se- film session after every game, Ryan Carraza. Welcome back to Podcast on the Brink. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm just uh, scanning the web right now, looking to see if I can find any uh, Bruce Hornsby at the Biltmore uh, uh, bootlegs. You know, so oh, I want to be mean, able to ex- experience that. You know, <laughs> I didn't even. It's good that you brought that up because it, it, I'd kind of forgotten about it after the game ended, and I was focused on kind of doing everything uh, that I do after games in terms of press conferences and getting everything put up on the site. But now that you mentioned it, um, Jason Benetti, I think, does a great job with uh, announcing. Obviously, uh, Ryan and I are both White Sox fans, so we're familiar with his work, and he does a lot of college basketball, but. You know, the first two days of Bill Walton, uh, there was obviously a lot of uh, interesting things to to uh, come out of his mouth, and, and and you know that's how it always is with Walton. You, you kind of have to take him uh, for what he is, and and there's not going to be a lot of talking uh, about the actual game. But today, you know, 
they lost me with <laughs> with how that went down late in the first half. What what uh what was your yeah. reaction? Were, were you surprised that ESPN just kind of? I mean, it, it, it was it was basically like uh, the three guys were having a Zoom call and the game was kind of going on in the background. Well, when it went to halftime, you know, the ESPN crew was like, that was the most 2020 thing. And it's just, it, yeah, it, it kind of was in some ways. But I don't know. I It was a little bit of like a bridge too far. I feel like they, Walton just has like his own thing and his own energy. And they ESPN seems to really be okay with it. And they just kind of let him do his thing. And I understand that there are some people that like it. There's some good entertainment with it, but then when it, we, we brought in one of his buddies and went to like this almost like long form interview, it was like, they're having Yeah. Like it was like a zoom podcast. I was, it was like, basically oh, like Bill, it, it almost felt like Bill told them like before he was going to do this, like if I'm going to do three straight days of games, two a day, like at some point I just want to bring a friend in for part of the broadcast and just talk about whatever I want. And it was like, at the expense of people who are actually trying to pay attention to the game, we've got these three faces over on the side of the screen with the game just kind of going on with no sound on the side. So it was it was bizarre, but um, I think everybody kind of once Indiana got back out there for the second half and took control of the game, uh, you know, the tweets about it stopped and people forgot about it. But I want to go kind of back to this whole week. Uh, in Maui, obviously neither you or I were there. And actually, last time Indiana was in Maui, you were in actual uh, the Lahaina Civic Center for the games. Um, yeah. So, so what a what a change uh, for our for our student writer Tyler uh, making the trek during a, a pandemic to go to go out to Asheville. So, props to him. He did a great job with the coverage yeah. all week. But great stuff. Um, you know the. Um, I kind of think it's good that we waited until now to talk about these three games because you had a little bit of everything. You had optimism after the first day when they beat uh, Providence convincingly. You had doom and gloom yesterday when they uh, looked totally inept against Texas. And then today they come out and beat what I think is going to be a pretty good in the Pac-12 uh, Stanford team. Just from a big picture what what did you learn from these three days about this Indiana team that maybe uh, you didn't know or, uh, you know, you were curious about coming into this? Well, I think in these three games and something I wrote about after this one, they certainly are still defending at a, at a pretty high level. They hurt, they held each team to under a point per possession. So I think that's been a, a pretty good constant so far this year. Um, heading back to the Tennessee tech game as well. And, you know, the fourth year here in the Miller era, I think we're starting to see that that's something that is kind of the identity of this team. Of course, on the flip side, the, I guess, thorn in the side of this team throughout his tenure as well has been the shooting issues. And I mean, that Texas game, I think the reason, I mean, usually when there's a bad loss, you know, people tend to kind of as uh, Miller said after this game that, you know, everyone else thought the sky was falling, but we kind of, you know, we're a good group and we kind of just soldier through the next game here. But um, I just, it's one of those things that it's so known by anyone who's watched this team and fans that have watched this team that this three point shooting and kind of an inability to space the floor um, in years previous as well has just been the glaring weakness. And so for it to, 
I think everyone's looking for that very strongly this year. And I think that Texas game, we really dig into some of the numbers, how bad they are historically. Um, it was a huge cause for concern. And I just think it's, it's that it's what everyone's looking for. And it just stuck out pretty bad um, in that game. That said, I do feel like this, this team, because, it, you know, I, I don't know if Trace Jackson Jason, excuse me, Trace Jackson Davis is not going to score 30 plus every night. But I think this team, because he's a real star and, and, and they can play through him, um, there's that. And then I, I think it might be about who is taking those three pointers around him. I think guys like Rob Finnessy should be probably shooting more. I think, um, you know, once Al Durham's healthy, um, he's someone that should also kind of be in the mix for the bulk of the shots. Um, and that might help them, you know, get up to that 35. I'm, I don't know if they're going to get up to, you know, 37, 39%. I, I, I'm a little dubious that this team is going to be any better than average and maybe shooting 34 or 35% from three. And they might not even shoot that well, but I think who's taking them, should be something that we're looking at here. Cause you know, we were talking before we got on and, you know, Christian Lander has taken the most out of anyone on the team. And he's two of 13 right now, which is about 15%. Yeah. It's um, just kind of looking through the stats here. Um, the, the thing that kind of stands out to me right now that I, that I think from an offensive perspective is a positive is how many opportunities right now that Trace Jackson Davis is getting. Um, his usage rate, um, just in terms of possessions used right now, and this is obviously going to change because we're so early in the season and these numbers update constantly. They'll be different by you know the time we're done recording this podcast when other games kind of drop in. But right now, um, he's using 34.4% of Indiana's possessions, which I think is a positive. And, and that was something I kind of wrote about um, earlier uh, in the in the preseason. I think over the summer, uh, I looked at a lot of the Big Ten's best bigs from last season. And Trace Jackson Davis kind of stood out from the standpoint of he only used 21.8% of Indiana's possessions last year. And for how efficient of a player he is, uh, last year, I thought that was too low. He obviously had a really good year. He was a freshman. But you look at how Indiana's offense has kind of struggled uh, over the years under Archie Miller, and, and you say you have this dynamic big guy who you know, doesn't really shoot that much outside of 10 feet, but when he does get the ball in a position to score, he usually you know, gets it, uh, it, it you know, in the basket or gets to the free throw line. And I think it's encouraging so far that he is as big uh, as, of a focal point of the offense uh, as he's been. I mean, I, you know, right now he's, uh, again, early, but uh, he's in the top 10 of the Ken Palm Player of the Year standings, and that that tracks things like efficiency and usage and things like that. And, and uh, so that's, I think, a positive. Um, on the downside, and I think this is the thing that we're going to continue to focus on as long as uh, it's an issue, is... You know, the three-point shooting right now is, as a team, 29.3%. And um, my 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 concern there is, you know, it, it's a small sample size, right? It's only four games. But we've seen three previous years of, of um, 
just really inept shooting from the perimeter. There's, there's no way other way to talk about it than, than to say that Indiana has not been good enough uh, as a three point shooting team. And so I just, I wonder, um, and, and I think we saw it uh, against Texas a little bit when, you know, when they can't make anything from uh, the perimeter and you have uh, basically only trade, you know, trace had 17 points against Texas, but nobody else really uh, stepped up. I mean, you had, uh, a day where Armand Franklin against Texas only scored six points, Race Thompson four, totally different than the output that you saw against Stanford. I wonder what Indiana has consistently beyond Trace Jackson Davis, and I think that's where the three-point shooting is going to have to uh, come through at times because when we get into the Big Ten play, um, ultimately teams are are, are, are more familiar uh, with, with what you're going to do, and, and there's some of the best coaching in the country, you know, it's a little bit different playing three games in three days. There's not a whole lot of advanced preparation and, and scouting, and, and these teams aren't as familiar with each other. And so I wonder, um, and, and, and I'm curious if you have any kind of thoughts on just Indiana's offense right now as a whole, um, what you saw uh, in these three games, and if there's any kind of cause for concern with kind of the continued, uh, you know, basically uh non-existent three-point shooting i mean they're, they're um let's see i'm looking here they're they're three you know they're they're not getting it looks like they're generating only 17.5 percent of their uh points from the, behind the three-point line which is uh you know not a whole lot 236 in the country right now and i just wonder just you know their defense is obviously good but but the offense uh to me continues to be a bit of a concern yeah, you know, I think one thing when we're thinking about um, Jackson Davis and then what's around him, I think sometimes it, they seem – I haven't dove into the film of these three games yet, but one thing I'm noticing is I think so often when we think of a big man, it's like, okay, they're down on the low block, and it's like if they get doubled, they're just kicking out to the perimeter, right? And there should be, a, you know, an open shooter, or it's – kicking out to the perimeter and swinging it around to the opposite corner or even the big man, you know, making a skip pass to the other side of the court. But I noticed in, in these games that he's they're also using him more than I feel like they did last year in terms of like the left high post. And I think when he's facing uh, the basket, as opposed to back to the basket, there's opportunities if they're going to bring a double or if he can, or if he's just kind of has a different vision where they're running guys off the baseline or, you know, race Thompson, who's obviously an improved offensive player as well is also there as kind of a, a safety valve. If, if, if his man pinches over, then uh, Jackson Davis can pass to him. So I, I'm just wondering if they're, as Jackson Davis gets a lot of attention on him. I mean, there were times in some of these games where I feel like the entire team was on him, right? There's like three or four guys. And, and um, I think Stanford today really made a point to try to, to try to double him a lot. And if he's going to have this high usage rate, he's going to be getting a lot of attention. It doesn't always have to be, well, it's the open three that they, that Indiana should get every time. I think there are other high efficiency type shots at the rim or more in the paint that they can get. And that might help balance out the lack of three-point shooting if they're just getting high percentage looks otherwise. Hey, it's Jared. Just jumping in here real quick so that we can talk about Home Field Apparel, your friends at homefieldapparel.com. You know, Christmas is coming up. 
you need to do your Christmas shopping, and homefieldapparel.com is definitely a stop that you need to make, both for the IU fans on your Christmas list, but also for anybody else, because it's not just IU stuff that they have right now, and they do have the best line of IU apparel, football logos, basketball logos. I mean, they have so much great stuff there for the IU fans on your list. But also, they have over 90-plus schools. So, you know, Home Field Apparel's whole thing is they go and they dig into the archives of different colleges and universities, pull out these old logos and brand marks that haven't been used in a while, put them on the comfiest material, whether it's the T-shirts, the sweatshirts, whatever it is. Their material is so comfy, so nice, so high quality, and you're going to find something for everybody. So go to homefieldapparel.com, use our promo code BRINK, B-R-I-N-K, and you will get 20% off your entire order. So the IU page for all the IU apparel, and then you can browse all the other colleges and universities, and you're sure to find something for pretty much everybody on your Christmas list. Because even if you have someone on your Christmas list that didn't go to one of the colleges or universities, Homefield does, they have so many cool, unique logos, you could probably find something for that person anyway. And if nothing else, just get them a comfortable hoodie or the comfortable joggers. I mean, it's such comfortable stuff. Gets you ready for the wintertime. Go do it now. Homefieldapparel.com. Use that promo code BRINK, B-R-I-N-K. You will get 20% off your entire order. That's homefieldapparel.com. Promo code B-R-I-N-K. All right, now back to Alex and Ryan. From today's game specifically, um, I don't know how much uh, we can really learn from uh, reliving uh, the Texas game. Everyone knows it was a historically bad shooting performance. But, you know, the, the, the thing that impressed me the most, I, th- I think, today and how Indiana responded was the play of, you know, Race Thompson was obviously tremendous against Providence and didn't do much against Texas. But, he bounced back in a major way uh, in today's game uh, against uh, Stanford. His line was 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 really good. I mean, 15 points, eight rebounds, four block shots, three assists. You know, this looks like to me a situation where even when Joey Brunk is is healthy again and, and is able to come back to the to the team and, and in the rotation, that that Grace Thompson is going to be the guy uh, up front and the other guy that. Uh, that looked really good to me today was Armand Franklin. I mean, he he wasn't great in terms of his uh, shooting percentage and the turnovers. I mean, he was, I think, 4 of 10 total from the field, missed all his three-point attempts, but he got to the line uh, six times, made made five of them, had three three turnovers, as I mentioned, but in other ways, you know, eight rebounds, five assists uh, with Al Durham out, and we don't know how long of a long-term of an injury that's going to be. I think it's really important for him to kind of step up. And uh, that was easily, uh, in my opinion, the best game that Armand Franklin has played in an IU uniform. Yeah. And, you know, I think after the game, Miller was very complimentary of him and he just, it it sounds like, you know, having a a full year in the system last year and, and the work he put in the summer and he just seems to have, raised his game and maybe even a little bit of recognizing what it takes to play at this high level. And he's more game to um, either put in the work or just know what it takes. And the fact that, again, I think he didn't come out all this entire game and 40, 40 minutes. Yeah. And, and Miller had pointed to the fact that uh, I think he asked if he wanted a spell once or twice or a couple of times, you know, maybe even more than that. And he basically was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. So I think that's a good attitude to see from him, especially with, you know, 
Durham being out, um, him kind of rising to that task. I mean, you know, it's not, it wasn't a flawless performance, but they needed someone else that was off the perimeter that was going to be able to drive and either, you know, get fouled, score, you know, attract the defense to, to open things up, um, in other places on the court. And he, he certainly was able to do that today, which I, I think was big because, you know, also thinking about the rest of the perimeter players of the backcourt and, you know, Finnessy has shot it well from three. He's only taken six. He's made four. So he, you know, right now he's kind of the, the high man in terms of percentage from, from beyond the arc, but still feeling like that those Rob Finnessy games or, or, you know, and I know he's dealt with injuries in his first two seasons, uh, but just feeling a little quiet in terms of, his contributions. And um, so it was good to see Franklin step up because uh, you know, right now, other than this three guard lineup that they've been starting, it's freshman and Jerome Hunter. Right. And so Mm -hmm. there needs to be, and that, you know, Hunter has, has had a, a little bit of a rough start to the season and they're otherwise relying on freshmen. So getting someone a sophomore in Franklin to be able to, to kind of step up and perhaps be a little bit more consistent than they might get off the benches is, is good as well. Yeah. You look at today's box score um, and I don't, yeah, I, I think it's pretty surprising that Indiana was able to beat a team that's in the top 30 of uh, Ken Palm by 16 points when they didn't have Al Durham, they didn't have Joey Brunk. And I mean, you look at their bench today I mean, they played Anthony Leal 19 minutes. He took one shot. Uh, didn't obviously give him much offensively. Uh, Christian Lander, who I, I think we uh, want to talk about a little bit later in the show, but you know, he 18 point 18 minutes for him. He had five points, but you know, he continues to take some. Uh, I think head scratching shots early in his career, and and um, you know, that's something he's obviously going to have to, to improve upon it. And Jerome Hunter plays 14 minutes and scores four points. So you get nine bench points uh, and you don't have two of your, you don't have your, your two seniors and you still win uh, by 16 over, you know, a team that's p- picked, I think it's finished in the top three or four of the Pac-12. I think it's a pretty good win. I mean, do, do you have any concerns just kind of about, you know, I, I feel like one of the things I talked about a lot in the preseason was, you know, Indiana having 11 guys that I felt like could all play and contribute. And now, you know, we're four games into the season and I'm looking around at some of what guys are actually contributing from a statistical perspective. And I'm and I'm, and I'm wondering if maybe I jumped the gun on, on kind of touting this, this depth, because the reality of today was there was three guys that, that basically carried the load from a statistical standpoint. Sure. And, you know, to your point of being able to beat a team by 16 and you kind of look at, look through the box door and that's why it helps to have a star like Trace Jackson Davis. Right. Because yeah. if you can get a guy to go 30 plus, they got to the line a ton. That's all, you know, I forget what they 20 and 25 from the line. Obviously yeah. he, he, he shot, I think half of those, maybe 11, more, 11 than, more than half. Yeah. He shot 14. Yeah. So, oh, wow. He had, he had 14 of the 20. So yeah, another nine points there. So it's over half their points from the line and from him. Um, I think I'm doing the math right there, but uh, yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that can help you a lot too. Like having, you know, it's very simple. It's not like, um, this is some 
amazing point I'm making here, but when you have a star player and that can be consistent or that you, you know, can, can throw up 30, it can go a long way. Um, So that's why I think if this offense is going to have, and there is a risk with that too, right? Because if he has an off, if you have an, if he has an off game or, uh, you know, some of these big 10 teams are going to be able to scout this scout Indiana and they can take some of his, his stuff away. That's when it can get a little dicey, especially if guys aren't hitting shots around them. But if they're able to, to, to work through him enough and, you know, get some, get some good looks uh, off of what he attracts and then he can keep racking up these numbers. It, it seems to me to sort of, I think the you know, they were supposed to be in, they were going to be in the tournament last year, all things considered looks like. Yeah. I, and I think this year, even if the shooting still isn't great, it does feel like there's enough else to at least raise potentially raise them into a group where, you know, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself a bit with this comment, but they seem to be in a spot where they'll maybe be more comfortably in the tournament. I'm not, I I don't know if they're going to challenge for a big 10 championship. I think that's unlikely, obviously like a deep run in the tournament is probably unlikely, but I think if they can keep having a defense that plays this well and the offense can kind of find um, him as the focal point and there's enough else there, even if the three point shooting isn't a ton improved, it, it feels like to me that there's just, there's just a little bit more to work with, with this team, even if there's still a long way to go offensively in, in, in some ways. And then, you know, secondarily just thinking about the bench and knowing that it is pretty freshman reliant right now. Although I don't know, like, Galloway has been, I think, a pleasant surprise. And, you know, he he started in place at Durham today. And I, I think the reason Miller seems to trust him because he's he seems to bring the same level of intensity um, and he plays really hard and he doesn't seem to be afraid of the moment as a freshman in a way that I think um, a typical freshman or even, you know, some of the other uh, freshman in this class can kind of sometimes fall victim to. Yeah. I mean, there's a little, I think I mentioned to this, this to you the other day on chat during one of the games, there's a little she, he in him in terms of just not like he, he's one of those guys who doesn't seem to care like who he's playing against or, you know, if, if there's a guy older than him, if there's a guy that was higher, higher ranked in terms of rank, rankings, a guy that's supposed to be better than him, he's still going to kind of, uh, bring the same approach. Now, sometimes the, the, I think there was, I don't know if it was yesterday's game or today's game where he kind of drove in and just kind of just got a shot blocked and it was kind of like a, Hey, welcome to to college moment for him. Yeah. And he's going to have some more of those, but I think you like, um, if you're a coach, you like to have a kid that comes in with little fear and, and someone that feels like they belong rather than someone that's playing timid and, uh, you know, feels uh, maybe a little bit what we've seen uh, from Anthony Leal so far is almost like he's afraid to make a mistake. And sometimes you just yeah. have to go out there and, and let it rip. Right. I mean, other guys are taking, uh, you know, a lot of three pointers and not making them, uh, you know, I think at some point, Anthony Leal, if he's going to be out there, especially if Durham's going to be out for an extended amount of time, they need to figure out a way to get him some shots. I want to go back to fantasy for a second. And, and I, I kind of just have a big picture question because 
I've been one of his, um, I don't want to say uh, biggest supporters, because obviously I cover the team. I'm not supporters of, of, of any of these players. But, you know, going back to his high school career, I thought that he would be a guy that by the end of his career could be a, maybe not a, you know, an all big 10 type player, but you know, a really, really good college player. And his first two years, he's obviously had some um, injury problems and just kind of various things that have come up. And, and I felt like this season coming in in many ways was, was really important for him, especially with Lander coming in behind him to kind of, you know, make a leap forward. And the first five, first three games, he was, uh, you know, I think a total of eight eight assists, no turnovers. Today's game, he hit two big three pointers. I, I think a lot of people f- may forget that, but in the second half, he hit I think two in a row, or you know, two in a couple of possessions that that really kind of boosted their lead back up that that were important. But he had five turnovers, and I just wonder. <laughs> this is kind of a an open ended question. You can kind of go a- any way you want with it, but. Do you think it's ever going to click with him or or is this kind of what he is as a player at this point? Yeah, well, certainly the start to this year, it's not like there are big signs of sort of a breakthrough or of him being playing at a consistent high level, but it is the start to, it's the very beginning of a very strange year in college basketball. And, you know, they didn't have as much ramp up time. They didn't have these exhibition games It's also a little bit of a, you know, I think at times in his first two years, there was a a large reliance on him doing a lot with the ball and really creating. And I feel like this year, I think Durham has the ability to do that. Franklin has shown, you know, today, I think he showed that ability. Lander is, you can tell he, you know, right now he is playing like a kid that is up a grade. And, uh, but that said, you can, you know, he's super talented and I think he has good court vision and there might come a time this year when he's sort of settled down a bit. I, I think today he was kind of getting a little bit hard on himself um, for some of the things that were happening out on the court. And and Franklin at one point, I think kind of talked to him to settle him down, down a bit, but I just wonder if the, you know, as you're saying, I, I, he, he, Finnessy did seem to be the type of uh, recruit coming in that was going to be that very, very strong four year point guard that his senior year would, would be, you know, maybe not going to be a pro or at least an NBA pro, but was going to be very, very good. And I, I don't know if he's ever going to get there, but I think the reliance on him having to do that with, some other playmakers and the kind of a three guard lineup this year, maybe he doesn't need to be what we kind of envisioned him to be. And honestly, again, it's six shots he's taken uh, from behind the arc, but I re I almost wonder if the way that this offense going forward, maybe he's, you know, he, he can be on the ball at times, but at other times, if they're going to, try to be a better three-point shooting team, I think it's important that he gets in the mix for that. To me right now, he is looks the smoothest shooting from out there. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, for me, it's like him, Durham, and then other than that, I'm not really sure who I trust 
to be taking threes on the team. And so the more that he gets, and you know, it's not like this is an offense that is always hunting for three pointers, but that might be more of an important role for him this year than, you know, being Yogi Ferrell 2.0. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was ever fair to think he was going to be Yogi Ferrell 2.0, but you know, the, the thing about kind of what you just said, if he's not going to be a guy with the ball in his hands a lot and you're going to start him, I mean, you obviously have him out there for defense uh, in large part because he's, a really good defender, I think. True. I mean, he's shown True. that over his career, even when he's been hurt. He's had a he had a couple of games the last couple of years where he played great defense on Cassius Winston, and that was a big reason that Indiana beat Michigan State a couple of times. But you know, if he's not gonna have the ball in his hands creating, I, I I think I agree with what you just said in terms of getting him open and trying to get him in situations where he can spot up because. Those two threes that he shot today uh, and made, those were two of the better-looking shots outside of, like, 15 feet that Indiana had all of, of this mm-hmm. event. I mean, you watch some of the threes that they took in this tournament. I mean, Jerome Hunter missed some that were ter- like, terribly missed. Uh, Christian Lander, uh, same thing. I mean, he, he yeah. he's, he's one of those guys that it's almost like fantasy should be looking for that shot more and – Lander should be looking for it a lot less. Um, exactly. And you wonder why, you know, my thing with fantasy is he, he doesn't, um, just doesn't seem comfortable um, being assertive offensively. And I don't know if that's something he's being coached to do, or if that's just kind of his natural disposition, kind of what he thinks his role is, but he should be, taking uh more shots uh, in my opinion and he should be looking uh to to get in the lane and get to the basket as much as possible because that's one thing that i feel like you know he's not a super athlete or anybody that's gonna dunk on anybody or overpower them at the rim but i I do feel like he uh when he gets going to the basket uh does does a pretty good job uh finishing plays uh he can shoot free throws at at a pretty decent rate and like you said i mean his stroke looked pretty good from the perimeter. And if Indiana is going to only have Al Durham that can make a three all season, uh, that's uh, to me going to be problematic. So we'll see. Uh, I think it's too early, obviously to make any big judgments, but at this point right now, I just wonder um, if if what we've seen out of Rob fantasy is, is going to be kind of, you know, this is, this is kind of it. Like what we're seeing is what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I again, it's early, but um, there are some other ways that I think he can be used that, yeah. that 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 might be that could be helpful. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over forty, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. 
When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With Lander, what have you what have you thought so far? And obviously, I've I tweeted that kind of his shot selection hasn't been great. Um, his offensive rating is the lowest on the team I'm seeing right now. Well, it's a little bit higher than Anthony Leal, but he's obviously played a lot more. His yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned two of he, 13 from three and one of five on twos is not, not great. Yeah. I think with him, he's just not playing within the flow of the offense. And I don't know if that's because everything's a little fast for him or he's just used to kind of playing, a, you know, playing a different style or playing at a different level, but he, he just really sticks out in terms of the looks that, um, he's taking there are a lot of quick shots from him too, right? It's early in the possession or it, it just, so I, I just think the decision-making in terms of when he's getting a shot up could be vastly improved. That said, you know, I know in Maui, he, he, excuse me, in Nashville, but Maui Invitational, <laughs> he, he wasn't great, but Against Tennessee Tech, there were some passes he made where you're like, wow, this is really high-level stuff, and he certainly has that ability. I just think right now, and I had mentioned this a little bit earlier too, where he, I think he's starting to get a little bit down and frustrated probably because these shots aren't going down, and it's just kind of, again, coming up a year and um, playing at this level, I just – He's just really raw right now. But, you know, who knows? Maybe once the teeth of the Big Ten season hits, he's kind of figured out how to play within the context of college basketball a little bit better. And I still think um, he's a pretty big X factor for this team because he can he can move. He's got great court vision. And to me, his shot doesn't actually look bad. Yeah. I think he's his shot looks pretty good. I just think he's doing it within a completely other context than he should be. And um again, the fact that he's taken the most threes on this team is for the amount of minutes he's played and and just sort of how he's getting them, it, it's it's very clear that it's not within the really much in the flow of the game right now. No, I don't I don't think it's by design at all, but I think it's it's very early for him and the fact that he still should be in high school uh, and he's he's still figuring out a way to, to contribute in some way. I mean, I, I think the, the best thing for him is to continue to get this experience because as, as late, later in the season, I think it could pay huge dividends because there's no question that he's talented um, and that he can do a lot of things with the ball and his passing. I think his vision's been pretty good, but I agree. You know, his, his shot selection so far, has not been good. One other guy that I wanted to mention uh, who was <clears throat> virtually invisible uh, in these games, Jerome Hunter, who played eight minutes against Providence and fouled out, which uh, just not a good game for him. And then against Texas, he played 17 minutes, scored four points, uh, another forgettable performance. And then today he, he, he plays 14 minutes and plays uh, scores four points. I think he was a guy that a lot of people were looking at as a potential breakout uh, candidate, myself included. Um, and, and as I watch him, I just, I still, 
kind of wonder where he's at from a confidence perspective and, and just being comfortable out there because he's clearly not the player um, that he was in high school. I mean, I watched him, uh, I think it was the spring of 2017. There was a tournament down in Dallas that I, that Indiana was watching him down there and I was, I was down there watching him and he looked like a guy that was on his way to, you know, an NBA career. And then obviously things uh, his freshman year in Bloomington, were cut short due to an injury and it just feels like he's not comfortable out there. Do you kind of agree with that? And, and, you know, he's in many ways, I feel like he's going to be potentially important uh, this season. um, If, if he can get some of that confidence back and, and, and maybe show that he can make a perimeter shot. He's another guy that I was looking at uh, entering the season. You know, you looked at Al Durham, you knew he was probably going to be a threat from the, from the perimeter, but Kind of in that next tier of guys that I thought could help Indiana from a shooting perspective, Jerome Hunter was was right there on that list. No, absolutely. I think in terms of yeah, kind of the the next man up in terms of being able to hit a hit a three consistently. I think you definitely put him on that list. And I think to your point, I, I completely agree that it does seem to be a bit of a confidence thing right now. And you know, I feel like he in the way that he's trying, they're trying to use him, and I think. I'm sure what he, you know, worked on this off season too is it's like he shoot, he, he's going to be a three point shooter for Indiana, but there's also these times when he's in the lane and there's, you know, either he drives in or he, he played a little bit. I think I was it against Texas. Maybe he had, he had a, a post bucket, but there's some jump hook action in the yeah. lane that I think he, he's working on a bit too. So it's almost like, coming from where he had to come from after his freshman year. And it's almost, it, it's like, he's trying to do both things, but not doing either of them at as high a level as he maybe could. So I, it does seem, especially falling out as quickly as he did against Texas. I, it, it's, it seems to be a confidence thing and just a, a rhythm thing and a sort of just still trying to figure out where he, he fits in with all, with all this. But I, I kind of think like, um, you know, obviously he's he's played a lot more college basketball than Lander, but I think Lander and Hunter to me are again two X factors. Where I don't expect Jerome Hunter to play this way the rest of the season. I think, and and Miller spoke to this in one of the press conferences too. I think it was after Texas that he's better than this, and I think he showed that this off season and has just kind of come into these games and it just hasn't like quite click for him, but I, I expect him to have a few games where he's important for Indiana and he's hitting a couple threes, maybe getting to the line a bit, but yeah, right now it in, in, in this invitational, he just didn't, didn't really have it from, you know, I mentioned him earlier, but I'm just kind of curious what you've thought of, of race Thompson so far. Have you been surprised at just how athletic and how, different he looks in terms of how he's played kind of around the basket and finished plays. He just looks like he's um, regained a lot of the athleticism that was not there the past couple of years due to various injuries and his confidence and his leadership on the court seemed like they've really taken a step forward. Oh yeah, most definitely. I think he's been a, you know, you could see some shades of this last year that he might be able to kind of work into this. I mean, he was basically kind of a, a, basically a starter by the end of last season. And I just, obviously he's a much more confident player. I think that that's 
very easy to tell in these the these first four games, um, especially against Providence. And good to see too that when the whole team dipped against Texas, and you know his his numbers certainly went way down. That basically he was able to come bounce right back and 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 still have have a really good game. And honestly, you know he's only taken two, and I think today was the day that he made his three pointer, but. And he's hit a couple, you know, like mid range, some, some like baseline jumpers, his shot looks very good as well. And, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that he, you know, he should be taking way more threes, but if he's going to be a more confident um, player all around, you know, he might be another one that maybe he's not taking a ton, but that, that might be another facet if they're, if, if Indiana struggling to find three point shooters, it's possible he he could get in the mix a little bit as well. But yeah, I, I've certainly been very impressed with how he's played. But but at the same time, I think he's he's following a trajectory that that he kind of started a bit last year. And actually, I'm wondering, and I kind of thought this coming into the season, to me, it seems like he can be more in fact impactful than a Joey Brunk. And yeah. it seems to me that uh you know. Race and trace, as uh, Bill Walton was saying many times on this broadcast, that to me seems like the highest ceiling for a front court. But then what a luxury when Brunk is, you know, I know he's working through this back injury now and maybe could even played a game or two in the tournament. But I think if that's what ultimately ends up happening, if Brunk's a backup or even if his race coming up, I think the three of them um, are pretty dang good front court. Yeah. For sure. I mean, kind of going back to like what you said about race in terms of the ceiling, I think the same thing kind of holds true for Jerome Hunter um, coming off the bench. I think you'd much rather have, um, I I think the ceiling of this team is higher if Jerome Hunter's playing well uh, rather than having to depend on Trey Galloway and Anthony Leal and Jordan Geronimo. So, um, you know, he, I, I think, you know, the, the, this team can be um, at its best when it has its most uh, experienced players uh, playing the biggest roles. And so that's, you know, you hope that kind of going down the line here that, you know, obviously not going to be the same impact. I don't think as, as race Thompson, but Jerome Hunter can kind of try to find his, uh, his role and and get more comfortable out there. What, what's your impression been, uh, you know, obviously neither one of us have been at a game this year and, uh, you know, probably won't be at any games this year, but what's like, you, you typically watch the games on, on TV anyway. Um, so this has been an adjustment for me, um, just kind of being at home watching these games, but have you noticed anything different, like in terms of just the atmospheres, have you been, um, is the, is the viewing experience, uh, much different for you, uh, watching these games with with no fans there you know i don't think so really i i think the level of play to me seems just as it would be as if there are fans in the stands for a neutral court tournament i think once we flip over into big 10 season and there are no fans in assembly hall although i guess it hasn't always been the greatest home court advantage the last couple of seasons there's been some some wins from the opponent but yeah I just think Big Ten wide, that's when I will probably notice that there isn't, you know, a the paint crew or, you know, any of these student sections going crazy. And 
that I, I I think will probably be more noticeable. But for right now, I I, I really don't notice much difference. Um, and there is sort of a, you know, had this been earlier in the year before any other sports had started, I might find it pretty bizarre. But having the NBA be in the bubble and there's you know football's football's playing. I mean, basically every sport said we're forging ahead. So, you know, knowing that and, and obviously watching some of some of those other sports as well, it's kind of a thing where this is just what it is. And just as the players and coaches have adjusted to it. um, So too, as the viewer, although I will say the, and sometimes I I wish I'm listening a little bit closer, although I guess, you know, when Bill Walton's talking so, so much, you can't hear, (laughs) <laughs> at, at times, but you can definitely hear more on the court. Yeah. Both what the players are saying and what the coaches are saying. So that's kind of one thing that's interesting and uh, might be, you know, kind of a, a, another window. And I'm sure if you're there and there are no fans, you can really hear that. Right. So yeah, I think that's, sure. that's kind of an interesting part of it. Just kind of the, any of the, the, the speaking where, if you're in assembly hall, you're usually not able to hear that stuff because the crowd is kind of drawn in that out. Right. Yeah. I think there's going to be some interesting stuff too. Once you get into conference play, because I think there's, there's going to be certain venues that try to do things to, to kind of give a home court advantage. Like for example, you know, a team goes to take a free throw or something and maybe you do play crowd noise and amp it up to certain, to, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the highest allowable level, but, yeah, I agree. It hasn't been all that different watching, but it, I'm sure for the people that are actually there, it's it's pretty bizarre. And, and I don't know, you know, we haven't had a ton of time to ask the players about this because um, obviously we only get a couple minutes with them after each game, but it, it has to be uh, for them too uh, a pretty big adjustment. Not necessarily maybe at this neutral court situation, but I think for Indiana, it's going to take a lot of getting used to playing in a gym that, normally has you know 15 16,000 people yeah all of a sudden there's going to be nobody there yeah it's more having to create your own energy and yeah I, I you notice it a little bit more in these broadcasts too I think because there are no fans but your team has to be the fans right and yeah. this actually was something that I know happened a bit in the NBA bubble as well where and maybe it's just some of the, some of the guys that were on their bench but I know it, it, at times it almost had a little bit of like a pickup atmosphere where, um, you know, guys are on the Lakers bench, like a J.R. Smith and, and then they were the ones that were sort of taunting the other team during free throws and things of this nature. Right. So, and I'm not saying that's going to be happening in the big 10, but it, that, that's another component where it's, it's kind of different than a large group of people doing it. If there's just two or three or one person sort of, trying to yell at you and mess you up when you're shooting. That's a little bit different than what a player might be used to. I don't know if teams are going to be doing that or if that's already happening, but with no one else in, uh, you know, or with a very, very limited um, amount of spectators, the teams can almost become uh, the crowd or the antagonist, you know, the either to pump, pump the team up or to be sort of their antagonist if it's the opposition. Yeah. I hope they let some of that stuff happen because otherwise it's going to be, pretty boring all watching benches kind of just sit there all season and uh, no atmosphere. The other thing that's been a pleasant surprise, and obviously this can all change in uh, at any point, but 
you know, kind of leading up to the, the days, and we talked about this, um, you know, when we when we chat on uh, on the uh, on Google every every day, um, but there was. <laughs> I was pretty concerned just about the season getting underway and getting started uh, because, you know, as, as the season got closer, you saw all these teams that were, you know, getting a positive test and shutting down. And uh, I think I saw a stat yesterday on Twitter. I think it was Andy Wittry that, that um, he did some research looking at um, just the percentage of games played so far, like in terms of what was scheduled or what, to what actually got played I think 79% have been played, which obviously it's not great that 21% of games are getting canceled or postponed at this point, but it's actually a little bit higher than kind of what I expected going in. Have you been, and obviously uh, we would be having a totally different conversation if Indiana was one of these teams, like I think Florida State hasn't even played a game yet, who Indiana plays, I think next week, uh, they're they're still waiting to play their first games. But have you been surprised at how, you know, this has been able to, and I'm not saying it's working or anything at this point because we don't know it's so early, but it seems to me that it, this is going to forge ahead. Yeah, it's sort of just the show must go on. I, I mean, the reality is the NCAA tournament was not played last year, and there was a lot of money that was lost because of that. And to have that happen two years in a row uh, would be pretty devastating. So I think there are a lot of business interests that are involved with some of these decisions. Right. And it, you know, there are some contingencies sort of built in in the way that some of the scheduling has been done. If, if there needs to be a postponement or cancelization or, or what have you, but I think even if there are, you know, if that 80, 80% or that 79% number drops to 70, yeah, we just kind of keep going. I, I you know, not that I'm uh, just sort of seeing the the bigger picture stuff. I don't I don't follow the NFL that much, but just seeing what's happening with the NFL, where they kind of just came in. I, I think a little bit more, maybe stronger stronger than than college basketball did, or, or really any other sport. It was just like sort of ignoring changing anything. Yeah, ignoring the public health uh, issues and just kind of forging ahead, and and so you're. I mean, I'm seeing there that I think I think some of these Thanksgiving games there are a ton of kind of COVID cases, and I'm yeah. maybe one of had to get pushed back, and you know Denver didn't even have like a a true quarterback that played for them. I think last week, so there's even some like weird competitive advantages stuff that it's just. That just is what it is, and you just keep going, right? So that's what I would expect this year. Um, but as you said, who knows? Yeah, I don't know exactly uh, who had the stat. Let me see if I can pull it up here. It was True Hoop that tweeted earlier today, um, Henry Abbott, a couple hours ago. So the NBA and the MPBA um, announced of the 546 players tested for COVID during the initial return to market uh, testing phase, 48 have returned positive tests. So 8.7% of NBA players have tested positive uh, reentering. So they're, they're going to, it's going to be interesting to see how that, that works. Yeah. I obviously don't want to get into an NBA discussion, but I will say this, I'll give the big 10 credit for this. Um, from a testing perspective, um, you can say uh, whatever you want about, um, 
you know, the Big Ten in terms of how they handled football, whether it was the right or wrong approach. But in terms of what they're doing with basketball, the daily testing, uh, I think, is a real positive. I, I wish more programs, at least the ones that have the resources to do it, yeah. would uh, kind of uh, jump on board with that and, and uh, do that. So, um, you know, there, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer to any of this. Everyone's going to have their opinion on whether they should or should not be playing. Uh, ultimately, I think, you know, the players do have the choice to uh, not play if they don't wish to. And, and obviously everyone's uh, for IU at least and all the most of the other major programs are playing at this point. Um, um, so we'll see um, how it all shakes out uh, in the end. Uh, I agree with you that there's a ton of um, pressure from a financial standpoint for the NCAA uh, to get the tournament going. But I also think for the players, um, it's a good thing if we can do it as safely as possible for them to play because a lot of these kids have worked their whole lives for this opportunity. Uh, they got the tournament taken away from them last year. Um, and so to not give them an opportunity, at least to try to play a season this year, I, I think would have uh, really been, t- you know, a tough pill to swallow for a lot of, a lot of those kids in which I understand obviously the, the public health side of it too. So I don't know that there's a right or a wrong answer, but I'm just glad that, that basketball is back. Um, Ryan, what kind of um, are you looking forward to maybe here over the next couple of weeks? Uh, obviously big 10 play is going to be here. I think Indiana's first big 10 game is three weeks from tonight, which that's hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, December 23rd, 23rd. And, yeah. then, and then they play the day after Christmas at, at Illinois. So uh, yeah. the games, you know, there's a little bit of a lull here in the schedule. They've got, I think, at Florida State, then a home game that's scheduled against North Alabama and Butler. So between now and December 19th, they'll play just three games. And uh, so it'll slow down a little bit. But then once Big Ten play uh, gets going, it's it's going to it's gonna come quick. And, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see how Indiana's ready. But I, I think in terms of the schedule they play leading up to uh, conference play, they're going to be as prepared as anybody. Yeah, and I, I think I'm kind of most interested in seeing uh, a week from now on on the ninth against Florida State, it being an away game, what that looks like. You know, again, in terms of us talking about the crowd and there not being nearly as many people in the stadium, if that game usually would be, a, a, you know, Indiana's at a, a much more of a disadvantage not playing that game in Assembly Hall, but will it be noticeable, especially for the freshmen that are getting significant minutes for Indiana, their first true road game um, in an opponent's arena, whether it matters as much as it usually does. That I think that'll be interesting to see. It may give some clues to what is in store for the Big Ten season as well. For sure. Well, thanks, everybody, uh, as always, for listening uh, to podcast on the brink. We will be back uh, next week with another episode. Thanks again. Thanks to you, uh, Ryan, as well, for joining us. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.